Hello and welcome to this very special Stages podcast mini-series. I'm your host, Peter Ayers. It's World Pride 2023 and the Queer Globe is converging on Sydney, Australia to celebrate diversity, inclusion, community and fabulousness. To mark this momentous event, the Stages podcast is saluting the cast of captivating drag divas and personalities who have been featured on the podcast during the past five seasons. They are artists who have appeared on national and global stages, thrilling audiences, making a difference, healing community and expressing unique and wondrous talents. We spotlight these episodes so you can savour a second listen or so you can sample the delights of these entertainers for the very first time. A diva a day for each day of World Pride. Hello, I'm Peter Ayers and you're listening to Stages. The I started dressing up in drag at home Korea, at Christmas parties and birthday parties. Everything around me, I was like a sponge and I still am. Incredibly observant, pre- incredibly visual. Well, always, because like I said, I danced, um, you know, from the age of five until I left France to go to the to the army. Take a, a script and you sort of reinterpret it. You have to be so <gasps> careful. And then we decided on Mitzi, it was going to be Mitzi Maguire or Mitzi Mayhem. I used to choreograph the drag shows for the drag queens, so I got to know them. Well, and behold, the next morning when I wake up, here's my face on the Daily News. <laughs> and to this day, people go, oh, Bob Down. Oh. And there were these dance steps called shoe the ducks and dry your nails. And I sat there for weeks learning how to do my face. Get me on a microphone, half pissed and just like in a room full of people that halfway there themselves. And then I remember when I was five, I wanted to go to this party as a fairy. I have to be able to put as much of my soul into it as possible. Lee Gordon named me Carlotta. Lee Gordon was a big promoter who actually started the drag queen shows off in Australia. I do it all again in a heartbeat, but I do it a little bit different next time, I think. I'd be, I would be more prepared for what I was. I mean, I was just someone from the suburbs that went to King's Cross. For 30 years, Aaron Farley and his drag persona Minnie Cooper have been entertaining audiences from Oxford Street to Oxford Circus. A happy accident in 2003 saw Farley embrace the art of drag and a new diva was born. Minnie Cooper is an enamoured part of the Australian drag industry and a recipient of more drag industry variety awards than just about anyone. Minnie has been awarded Entertainer of the Year on a record number of four occasions. This new dimension in Farley's career followed an established position in many commercial musical productions throughout Australia, including The Witches of Eastwick, Showboat, Crazy For You, Chicago and Singing In The Rain. Successful turns as a choreographer and director have also allowed Farley to flex his creative muscle, teaching a new legion of performers and constructing engaging artistry for audiences. Aaron Farley joined Stages to discuss his drag persona, his passion for performance and all that glitters. This conversation took place in July 2019. I'm a hoarder with drag because I never know when I'm going to need it. Uh, what, save it for a rainy day? Yeah, you never know when I'm going to need that. And the minute I throw it out, then I need it. Do you recycle much? Yes, I try. I do now. Well, that's the thing, I guess. Um, is drag an expensive occupation? Well, yeah, it is. You don't. It's funny. They play. It's almost like we're um, Stockholm syndrome. Yeah, it's a bit yeah. like Stockholm syndrome. The, the, the club scene. You get treated this certain way, and you can't break it. Even though we're treated not well, and what we put in, it's like Stockholm syndrome. You can't fight the system. Right. Because. And it's a bit like if you don't like it, you get out. That's why people don't normally don't stay in it. Very long. Yeah, because they don't nurture. If you're there, it doesn't matter how talented you are. You get paid the same as someone new or someone old. There's no pay rate. or. And when you get older, well, that's, that's theatre generally, isn't it? There's yeah. no, for longevity, there's no well, um, the pay rides or anything or seniority exactly. or... No, there isn't. Right. But yeah, they did, oh, you know, I did, they did it a little bit, I think. I think I got paid 
a little bit more than some people, but it was probably only $50 or something. Right. Getting that $50 off Kirkby was uh, tough. Were you with Petty Williams? No. Oh. No, no. Oh, you were there as an actor? Yeah. Right, right. She was a tough old nut. Yeah, no, yeah. And and a real character too. You don't see well, I know. a lot of those characters anymore. I know. It's, yeah. it's really changed the whole musical theatre thing, hasn't it? It's like yeah. just... I couldn't get it because Mary Poppins came about and I thought I was going to it was at a point where it, was, it wasn't enjoying Drawing Dragon I thought I might want to go back and do theatre I couldn't get an audition oh really yeah well I suppose you sort of when you, when you go, leave the scene for a while the, uh, yeah. I mean the theatre scene yeah. there's a whole bunch of new graduates coming out of all the schools every year yeah and um, that's they get the look-ins or whatever because yeah. they're cheaper too I guess yeah yeah, yeah. So what, what's your, the outlay for a drag queen? Is it the proper term, drag queen? Drag yeah. performer? Yeah, drag queen. Yeah. Is, it, is it expensive? I mean, you talk about recycling costumes. You've always got to buy materials to make your gear and, yeah. and your music tracks. And yeah, it all costs money. Yeah. Like, you do a lot of value in kind, which I've only just discovered that term. Are you recording this? Yeah. Oh, I didn't realise we'd started. <laughs> it's, it's, I only discovered this term, value in kind, where you do all this work for free you don't get paid for rehearsals and a lot of the time because you're of your own pride you put in your own money like you get a budget just say it's $1,500 but a wig can cost $300 and there's three of you that's not going to cover everything but as a producer you get a, a, a to produce yeah. a show what to produce a show, a show right? yeah you get like a, a budget of $1,500 and then you've got to divvy up that's that goes, that's, to, that goes to music wigs costume and salary no, not salary. Not That's just to produce the show. You, right. Your salary is separate. Now, I feel like I'm talking to two personalities here. Who am I? Uh, I'm going to talk to Aaron during this, aren't I? And we'll, we'll talk about Minnie. Yeah, well, you know, it's one of the same. Minnie's just a, perso- a character. That's, it's like having a, a name, a character role, right. and it's a role I play. And if you speak to me off stage, I'll speak to you exactly the same, no matter if I'm dressed up or not. Oh, really? Okay. The same person. Right. Yeah. So does does Minnie have her own persona, or? Well, to a certain extent, I think required... it's just a, I think it's a highlighted version of myself. Right. It's a fundamentally who I am, but in a heightened way. My humour. I'm a bit mean, sometimes. I like to speak the truth. That's the good thing about drag. It's it's a truth. You can speak the truth and get away with it. Do you feel more confident when you're in drag? Well, you get away with a lot more. Right. You do. It's just part of it. It's just, it's like a real. It's like having this great. What is it? It's the one thing I believe you can be in drag and you can say anything you want and you can almost get away with it. Because right. everyone goes, oh, it's just a drag queen. It's really people's perception. It's not me, but it's people's perception of drag. But you know, the, uh, I mean, if you hark back centuries, you know, the court jester. Exactly. That's we, what we, we are. Was able to, yeah, you're yeah, court jesters, aren't you? That's exactly what we are. Right. Exactly what we are. And we can speak truth. You can speak truth to power in some way and, or pretty much get away with it. Because so, people, yeah, they're scared of you. People are scared of you. It's really weird. Yeah, no, it is true. Yeah. Drag queens can be scary. Oh, it's like it's clowns. Like, yeah, it's scary. like a psychological thing. You, no matter, how, and I've just experienced this all the time. Walking into a room, if nobody's ever met you, they, they have, when you walk in to drag, they have an opinion right. of what they believe it is. And I can change that once they get to know me because they'll think, oh, bitch, scary. It's, it's really weird. It's, it's quite fascinating. It's a quite powerful thing to have, actually. It's going to make fun of me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I probably will. <laughs> <laughs> so how, how long have you been playing Minnie? Uh, for Minnie 16 been? years. So Minnie's only sweet 16? Oh, God, I'm glad that you think that's young. Well, yeah, she's pretty young. I'm not so young because I'm 47. Right. So I started doing drag quite late. You'll have to have a, um, a sweet 16th. Oh, it's just passed because it was in May. All right. <laughs> um, so, so, look, legend has it that Minnie was abandoned as a baby and, and left in the doorway of Ark Nightclub and then thankfully adopted and raised by drag queens who taught her about miming, glitter lipstick, platform heels and everything in between. I think that's a fabulous backstory. <laughs> oh, None of it's true, but None it's a good... True. But it's an urban myth. I love an urban myth. So you've only been doing it 16 years. Yeah. How did you fall into drag? Well, I was a, worked in professional musical theatre from 18 to 31. And I used to choreograph the drag shows for the drag queens. So I got to know them that way. And then Chelsea Bunn, who I used to do shows for, uh, someone had gone away and nobody liked working with her. 
So she asked me to work with her and I thought I'm in between jobs and a bit of extra cash. And still 16 years later, I'm in between jobs. <laughs> wow. Because you'd, yeah. you'd been yeah. an actor, a performer, yeah. and you were choreographing. So it wasn't too daunting about putting on a wig and heels and no. being someone else. And it was actually really funny. Well, it's so funny. I've actually always loved drag ever since a child. Like, I've always loved dressing. I've never wanted to be a girl, but I've always no. loved girly things. And that's just like the spectrum of sexuality is so weird. I don't feel like a woman, but I like putting on women's clothes and performing in women's clothes. What about people like Danny LaRue and Barry Humphreys, Dame Edna and all that? Are you a fan of all those sorts yeah, of Yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah. Like Dame Edna, I think he's amazing. Like Dame Edna, you almost believe he's a real person. Yeah. It's that believable. Yes. But he, he doesn't call himself that he does drag, which is weird. Find that weird, but you're dressing in women's clothes. It's drag. Yes, yeah, no, I, th- I like yeah. to refer to him as, a, as a character actor who. Yeah. Because I suppose Edna's not the only character, character he does, that he plays. Yeah. But so. fundamentally, drag comes from Shakespeare, yep. dressed roughly as a girl, and you can't change history. Yeah. It's yeah. drag. Exactly. <laughs> he may still disagree, but <laughs> it's still drag. So, so drag really, it was a happy accident rather than yeah. a planned career move. Yeah, but I always loved it. So I thought is, I think it's when you. I think when you live an authentic life, those things just come to you. Because obviously I had an attraction to it, so I was drawn to it. So it just sort of came about that way. Right. And what about the name, Mini Cooper? The Mini, I, well, you always have to have a good name. And I saw Minnie Mouse on a wall while I was eating some lunch. And I loved the movie The Italian Job, all about the Mini Cooper cars. And I thought, oh, that's a cool car. And that's how I came up with the name. Oh, great. Yeah. The original film with Michael Caine? And no, it was the Noel second Coward. one with, right. um, oh, what's her name? She was in Monster, I can't think of her name. Beautiful actress. Charlize Theron. Theron, that's the one. Yeah. So where did you grow up? Are you a Sydney boy? Oh, Western Suburbs of Sydney, Granville. Granville? Right. Yeah. Okay. Granville trained disaster, then there was me, I always say. <laughs> you were the other Granville disaster. <laughs> I'm a walking disaster. A beautiful one. A beautiful disaster. So did that, we involved that or have family members involved uh, with the disaster I, or neighbours? No, I don't really, to be honest. There was no fa- All I remember, it's funny, I was talking about it just the other day. All I can remember is my mother telling my brothers not to go down and look at the accident. That's all I can remember. I was like five. Right. So yeah. it's very, four, I might have even been four or five. I was right. very young. Yeah. Horrible moment in, in uh, yeah, Sydney. Yeah, people still remember it today. It's quite amazing. Yeah. So what was school like? Did you school- enjoy it? Yeah, you know what? School wasn't that bad for me. It's like, I think I, I did get bullied about my, really about my skinny legs because I had these skinny, scrawny legs and knobbly knees. And that was the only insecurity I got from school that, that I can remember. I think I had a pretty easy considering I was a pretty gay boy that loved Barbie singing and dancing. Yes, in the Western suburbs. I know. City, yeah. I'm pretty surprised I came around. So came were you out. bullied or? Well, not really, no? no. When I got, I got, did the school musical, everybody thought I was a star. So was, I became cool when I got into year 10. It was really weird. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, it was considering at the time of the, like, the late 80s. Like, so was it a lot of mixed cultures at the yes. school? Yeah. Yeah. Right. So they're all dealing with their own um, minority complex, yeah. I suppose. And my, the school I went to, a couple of years later, it's, it became really rough, apparently, and there were stabbings and everything. So I think I grew up right at the right time. What was the school play you did? Uh, bye Bye Birdie. Oh, were you Birdie or Albert? No, I was Birdie. Right. Oh. No, Brian McGorry got Albert. Cause... Did you want to play Albert? No, not in particular. Did you want to play Rose? Well, <laughs> Kim McAfee, probably. <laughs> <laughs> so... Was there much of a, an artistic outlet at school? Was it just school shows? Well, there wasn't really a big artistic outlet at school. It was That was the first musical the school ever did, and probably the only one. And um, I did dancing. I grew up going to dancing, so I had that outlet on the weekend, and that's all I cared about. School was just biding my time to get out, yeah. I realised, as I got older. Right. It's really did, weird. How did you start dance? Um, my mum just saw me dancing around the house and thought, and she liked entertainment she loved Hollywood movies so she just took me to dance class I didn't even actually really ask she just took me right. which is nice so your brothers I guess they were sporty or oh, artistic or no, me, me I, and my brother are chalk and cheese so. oh my I am like nothing like my family how they are sports orientated like my father didn't have much time for me because I did dancing because he loved sport right. 
So I was always a bit of a loner and still am today. I've always lived in my own sort of fantasy world. I always say I'm still living the same life as I was at six as I am at 47. Like I haven't changed. Right. It's really weird. Right. I, I do. I think my world is a bit fantasy orientated. My life is a musical. <laughs> <laughs> you burst into song occasion. Oh, always. There's no better way to tell a story than through song, I say. So, so who were the influences in your childhood? Either personal or, or public? You know, were they movie stars or were oh, they a teacher? Or you know, like, it's quite funny. Like, Judy Garland had a big impact on me and Gene Kelly and all those kind of people. And you know, MGM musical. Oh, that is yeah. all I... I was just drawn to that and loved that. Because every Sunday afternoon, they'd be on that. That's what I do all weekend as well. Movie matinee. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I'd watch all those movies and it would just... It like, gave me hope. That's all I wanted to be in Technicolor. I wanted my life to be Technicolor and it is now. Just like Dorothy when she went over the rainbow. It is. It's, it's yeah. weird. I call that my Bible, my religion, The Wizard of Oz. It's quite weird. Yeah. Well, it, it is... Um, you can understand why it's such a, a, a huge uh, gay Bible, if you like, yeah. or re- reference point oh, for a lot of uh, totally. yeah, queens because it, they relate the, to the outsider and, and the loner. And, and the, it's, yeah. it's psychological. The story's psychological, I believe. It gets it into your psyche about being different yeah. and people still loving you, but you get to go home in the end too, hopefully. And that iconic song, you know, Somewhere Over the Rainbow, yeah. you know, there's a... A colourful, wonderful place. And, you know, gay pride, etc. You know, oh. the rainbow flag, which oh, no, is exactly. so central to, to everybody's. And what else I've found out as I've gotten older, I've really, my performance is really, I've really subconsciously taken on psychologically the way they perform as well, I think. Yep. That old style of performance. Okay. Like Judy Garland, I think, is an amazing actress. And mm. I can study her for hours and watch her mm. and look at the technical side of it as well as the what people see, why they like it. It's really interesting. Did you collect cast albums? No, but I was given a heap when my uh, gay uncle died. I got a heap of cast albums. That's when I really found my love of uh, Broadway musicals more. Because I'd only really had been influenced by Hollywood musicals, not necessarily shows like Sweet Charity and shows like that. West Side Story, oh, I used to listen to that over and over again. So you had a gay uncle? Yes. So I guess... Um, I didn't know he's gay. I just, oh, you didn't know at the time. No, but, but I you, know. Your mum obviously did, or your dad. Your well, it was my mum's brother, right. and I don't think she... Because this is... This is, you know, with being gay, shame comes with it, and it's from my uncle dying, actually. Because I remember my uncle passing away, and my mum being so upset, and I really... And they said, because it was the time of the AIDS epidemic. Oh, did you... Oh, well, yeah, I yeah. think so. I don't officially know. We were told it was cancer. Right. But he inherit, he inherited money off a man. These are all the things I know. So I've just... So put, you're just putting two and two together. I've put it yeah. together. And I remember my mum crying, saying that my auntie Lorraine said he died of AIDS right. and my, how devastated my mother was. So that entailed me being very young. And at 15, 16, you're very sensitive to everything's around you because you're just forming your... You realise... You're not like everyone else. Mm, mm. And you have no representation, especially at that time. And all I saw at that time was the Grim Reaper AIDS. It was not yeah. a great time to grow up no, and no. be gay, no. especially a young gay person. I think that's, I've, all that time has created a lot of shame for me, that, all that sort of stuff. So do you think was, did it make the bond between you and mum a bit stronger, perhaps? Or was um, there... It's weird. I mean, the fact that she recognised that you like to dance and put you into dance school. Yeah, it's really weird. But but in the saying that she had so much care for me, I didn't want to disappoint her either because her, her being so upset, it was it's a, such a visceral emotion for a 15-year-old because my mother was so kind. Yeah. So to see her so upset, and, and I think sometimes they think it's just a phase. My mother used to say, oh, it's just being trendy to be gay. Right. So even though she was kind, she sort of still didn't understand... Yeah. That it's the way you're born. You don't have a choice. Well, She's a great, better now. Great deal of ignorance, I suppose, until yeah. you educate yourself about. And I think a part of the time, most of the time, it is just ignorance. Yeah. yeah. I just saw a thing today where they wanted in Scotland where they educate kids on being gay, so that when they grow up, they are, the straight people know what it's about. They're not so scared of it. I think it's really healthy. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It's a brave new world. Yeah. Do you remember the first big musical that you saw? Yeah, did Joseph you... and his amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. Was that Jason? With... No, Jason Donovan did in the West End. No, he no, it's David before. Dixon. 
No. Is it David Dixon? No. no. Oh, you, who'd you say? Angela Ayres. We're going back years. As the narrator? Yeah, okay. that's how long. I was really young. Who it was, was that the Joseph? Fi- Don't know. I couldn't tell you that. All I know, all I remember is Angela Ayres was the narrator. Yeah. It must have been in the 80s. Right. And then the next big musical I saw was Les Mis, and that was when you, that's when I knew that's what I wanted to do. But there was no tapping or anything. It didn't Les matter, Mis, but it, no. was the, it was the... Because it was the power of the song and the storytelling. Oh, and when I look back at it now, and I even watch a clip of Deborah Byrne, it's one of my. I think it's a, her. Well, she's the best Fontaine ever. Oh, it's the storytelling and song. I know she lived the life, but still, it's she doesn't belt it out like a show tune. Like the, now, it's like a party piece. You go watch the show, and they're all yeah, belting belt, it. Belt, belt. But she doesn't belt it out. It's so. It is extraordinary performance. I think it's beautiful. Everyone should watch it. YouTube it. YouTube it. <laughs> Well, that's the thing, you know, these kids today. I mean, when we grew up, I guess we had access to cast recordings. We'd read everything, devour everything that we could get our hands on and listen to. Um, And now, you know, we work with kids and they don't take advantage of YouTube and the rabbit holes that you can go down to and the performances that you can see. And the thing is, it's all about, they've got so much choice and you only look at it if you really want to now. Where we were not forced upon us, but we all sat around the telly and we all had a common interest. Yeah. It's really interesting cultural change. So, um, how old were you when you took your first dance class, and who was who was your teacher? I did a little bit of ballroom dancing prior to that. That must, I must have been about six or seven. But when I was nine, I went to the Cherie Weatherall. Oh, what was it called? Cherie Weatherall dancing. And name was Cherie, which was a funny lady. And in the end, it was so funny because I must have had just natural tapping feet. I've got videos of me where I tap dance better than the teacher. It's really odd. <laughs> But I must have just had a natural flair for tap dancing. I think that's why that, that teacher in Billy Elliot is so wonderful. She's sort of the, the, the person who would like to have been a performer but didn't quite get there, but now is is well, not stuck teaching kids. Obviously, there's a passion for it as well, but there's also a... And what I love about Billy Elliot is that she saw something in him. Yeah. And that's what I think... It that's what teach. you want. You want some sort of champion that is going yeah. to support... And, and I think and sometimes nurture. that's being a good teacher is when you see things in other people and lifting those kids up to achieve things. Yeah. I think it's really important. Because yeah. I think sometimes it's all about, especially in dancing, it can be very much so. You're not good enough. You're not good at that. It's always this negative thing instead of a positive lifting as well. I think it's, it's, it's a tricky thing to do. So was there a career aspiration to be a performer then? I mean, I assume oh, so because... all you know, I ever wanted to do. Right. I used to choreograph shows in my bedroom. I was putting on shows in my... That's all I ever did. It's all I can remember doing and still do it now. Nothing's changed. Miming with a hairbrush. Exactly, all of that. <laughs> Standing on the front porch, miming Olivia Newton-John's magic, hoping people would pay to come and see me. <laughs> so weird. So you obviously then drift into musical theatre or yeah. you chase musical theatre. Well, yeah, and it's weird how it's a different time because I think my first job I ever got was Sesame Street Live and I must have seen it in the paper. They used to have auditions yeah, in the paper. absolutely. And it was just a cattle call and I was at I was in year 11 or 12 at school. Must have been, yeah, no, it must have been year 12. And I saw the audition in the paper and I just went for the audition and got the job. So that got me into the business. And then I met... And you get your equity card. Yeah, exactly. And I also did a job. It was a bus and truck tour. I used to do suit work, Yogi Bear, before I left school. And I'd met Laura Harrison, who'd done Anything Goes, and and I thought she was the best thing ever because she'd been in musicals. She was something. And she actually taught me how to do a wing time step. So, Gay Royston, do you know Gay Royston? No. Yeah, and they were in the business, and I just thought they were the bee's knees. Michelle Guthrie, do you know her? Oh, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, she was, I was in a bus with all of those women. Oh, right. Yeah, who were all Doing in Doing suit work. Yeah. And they were in their early, obviously in their early 20s or mid-20s at that time, yeah. which is really young, which at 16, they seemed like they were really old. <laughs> <laughs> and it just, that inspired me more to want to do it. It's really weird how you meet people like that that inspire you to think, oh. I'm going to be that one day. So what was the big first big commercial musical you did? Hot Cheese Shuffle. Right, okay. Yeah. So that was uh, with uh, David Atkins? Yes, it was. Rhonda Birchmore, Rudy Brickmore. <laughs> but in the original production? Yes, was I wasn't in it originally. Right. Uh, I was on at the Hill Centre first, 
And then when it got picked up to go touring to Melbourne, I joined it when I went to Melbourne. So it was like they'd done the early days. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. they'd only done six weeks at the Hill Centre, but it was like this new fresh idea and it went went on a huge success. Yeah, oh, it went boom. So did you stay with it the entire run? I did it up until the West End. I got to go to the West End with it. And then I left the show and then I went back to it a few times because it kept going and I'd go back. I did, an, I think, another show, and then I went back and did it again because it went on for a good four years. I think. Yeah, but yeah. It, it seemed like a long time, but I think actually I think it was only four years. Four years seemed like a lot in your early twenties, though. But I guess a show like that provided you a training, oh, right, and learning on the job. Do you know and what apprenticeship? It's funny, like this wouldn't happen now. I don't think in musical theatre, but all I when I got the job, all I was taught was the routines, and I was handed a video cassette of the show. And I just assumed it was my job to learn it, right? So I'd sit at home with the video and mapped it all out, rehearsed it all on my own. I'd went on once planned because Dean had to go do another job. It's Dean Perry. Yep, Dean Perry. And so I'd rehearsed that to go on. Then we went, the show toured in Sydney and it went to Adelaide. And it was in Sydney for 12 weeks, never went on. Got to Adelaide, it was a second preview. I was sitting there playing my little Game Boy because that's all I could do because I was so bored. And um, Sheldon says, oh, Aaron, you're meant to be on for Chris today. Chris has gone home sick. And I go, what? And it's a 15-minute call. Never done his part. Throw me in a costume. On I go, know what I'm doing. They're shocked. And they're like, how do you know that? I said, well, because isn't that my job? And then the following day was a matinee, and then Adam Garcia got sick. Never done that part. On I went. Knew what I was doing. No rehearsal. Because that's an extraordinary skill being a... A swing, I yeah, guess call it, isn't it? Where you're learning many, many different and parts. And that's what I'm grateful, even though it's not really... Someone should teach me that stuff, really have a job and teach me that. But I'm glad it taught me to be a worker and just do the work. Yeah. Even if no one asks you, do the work. It's the best training I've ever had. And because of that, I got other things because of reputation. And it's not about... I'm not the most talented person in the world. I just had a reputation for working hard. So did you enjoy music theatre? It's quite gruelling, isn't it? Eight yeah. shows a week. Do you know what's funny? Now that I'm out of it, I'm glad I don't do it anymore. Because oh. I, I, eight shows a week, because I like to be creative, it's quite stifling because you're stuck. You're a creative person doing a creative job that's fundamentally yeah. no longer creative once you're in it. No, you're on repeat, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, and I'm not that kind of person. Right. It's, not, it's not for me. It makes me unhappy. Yeah. Even though I love doing that, that grudge is not good for me. And for some people it's not, for some people it's fine, but for me it's not great. Now I believe you uh, met uh, the great Faith Prince, Broadway star. Yes, I did. And you, you learned certain things from her. She changed my life, actually. Yeah. Tell me about that. Uh, it was funny, because I teach at ED5, and she was out here performing with Anthony Warlow, and she loves to teach, it was the thing that she does on the side. And... Um, they said, oh, Faith Prince has contacted the school and wants to do a masterclass, but she can't get here. Would you drive her in your car? I said, really? <laughs> so here I had Faith Prince in my car. And then she did her masterclass and she just changed the way I look at my career in general. Because I'd only ever worked for people or audition, never asked to do anything or did anything for me. And there were things I wanted to do. And she took one thing she taught me is always ask, but respect the the answer don't have a sense of entitlement um what were the other things being a singer not being the best singer but being a storyteller is the most important thing it's not about being a great singer and i'm not the best singer but i can tell a story tell a story and it was just all things um doing work for yourself is working for someone else so i do a lot of stuff for me now not just for other people so i get satisfaction in things that i enjoy and want to do because if you want to do something and no one's going to offer it to you you can do it yourself mm. if you're willing to do the work yeah so i learned all that it's really amazing did you enjoy auditioning was that because that's a, a necessary part of the job isn't it do you know what's funny i was always terrible at it and it's so funny but i can't use my witches of eastwick audition for an example that was the last show i did i did my audition and i'd worked for the choreographer before Stephen Meir, who did crazy for you and he wasn't at the audition, but I did my audition. Oh, that was terrible, right? <laughs> and I didn't get the job, but someone had obviously pulled out and I got the job on recommendation. So I ended up getting the show in the end. 
And then I was in rehearsals for the show and then the director, I can't remember his name actually, um, said to me, oh, you were really quite fantastic, but your audition was terrible. And it was always a terrible audition. It was but Eric, once, Eric, wasn't it? I can't remember. Eric, um, yeah, I can't remember. Yeah, it yeah. might have been the resident director right, that, yeah, okay, that came yeah, out. Yep. If I remember correctly, it's so long ago. Yeah. But I remember he said to me, you were actually really fantastic, but your audition was terrible. And I also always said, auditions were hit and miss for me because yep. it's not the real environment. No. Now I have the skill now. If I go to audition, I can turn it on now where I never had that skill to switch on a performance in a cold, unperformance room. Yeah. But when I'm on stage, I could. It's really weird because it is, I find auditioning, it's a different... It's a very unnatural. You go into this yeah. big room, there's a panel of and ten... And they're asking you to be authentic and natural yeah. in an unnatural environment. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really weird. So it's a skill to be able to do that. Yeah. And sometimes people audition well and are shit on stage. Mm-hmm. Can I say that? Yeah, of course, absolutely. <laughs> but um, it's true. So, so uh, Hot Two Shuffle, Witches of Eastwick, what else did you do? Crazy For You, Chicago, Showboat, Me and My Girl... So you're working with the the choreography of some great uh, practitioners too, you know, oh. Anne Reinking with Chicago and yeah. Susan Stroman and Crazy For You and Showboat. And all those things, you realise subconsciously what you learn from those people and you don't even know you're learning stuff. Right. And it just teaches you about artistry. Yeah. Like, and what I loved about Susan Stroman stuff is that all movement has a purpose. What does it mean? Does it feel human, which I love? And I've carried all those things with me my whole career, I think. And you can't learn that in a classroom, I don't think. It's really interesting. And just watching other performers, how they work. I was a very, quite funny, especially in my, I didn't hot show, I don't think I said boo. I just sit back and watch. But I learnt so much just by listening. It's amazing what you can learn. Yeah. And and then you can just apply it. Osmosis. Yeah, it's really weird. Yeah. It's important to listen, isn't it? Oh. In a rehearsal room. It's so funny. That's why I think... All those people that talk, what you're missing out on, it's like this. Oh yes, talking in the <laughs> yeah, in because the rehearsal you think, room. Yeah, yeah. yeah. but you're, you're actually missing out. Watching is like it's even watching people do their art. You can learn something. Yeah, and you mightn't even know you're learning it, but you can. Yeah, it's obs- ob- by osmosis, I believe. So let's go back to drag. Yeah, I've I've heard that you know for any troupe of drag performers, it's a big asset to have a choreographer. Group. Yes. Obviously, big tick for you. Yep. What do you like with the sewing machine? Oh, shit out. <laughs> <laughs> so who, where does Mini Cooper get a frocks from? Well, this is the thing. This is where the budgets, when we were talking about budgets earlier, most of my budget goes on to fabric and costume making. I have someone that makes stuff for me, and they, they do do it for me at a very good price, but it's still expensive. Like, that's where all the money goes. It gets chewed up. So basically, the, all the wigs and normally the music and all of that, I pay for out of my own money. So for weeks, I'm probably still trying to make up the money I've spent. Yet the club is making money off what I've put on. Mm. Like, it's I've, the, the older I've gotten, the more I struggle with that. So I've pulled back from producing shows in clubs a lot because of that very reason. So do the costumes uh, normally last after the season? Or does yeah, the season the, really sort of... Well, that's the thing. You think, well, we get to keep the costumes after it's over. It's sort of like what we get as payment. Yep. But half the time, they're... They're all sweaty and rotten. And yes. Like, and they don't get looked after very well. Right. Once that show's on, it's on. They, that's it. For breaks, it breaks. Don't fix it. <laughs> we don't have someone in wardrobe that comes around and fixes everything. So when you produce a show, because mm. um, you played, a lot of your shows played at ARC for a, a long yeah, time. Yeah, I did that for 15 years on a Thursday night. Wow. So, so how long would the season be? How many It sh- varies. Just It depends how, well, if it was bringing people in, they'd keep it running longer. But when, it, when the numbers start going low, that's when you put on a new show. So it was, some went for six months, some went for 12, just depending on how popular it was. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant. So that's when you'd start to make money off what you did. So what's involved in preparing a, a show like that? Obviously, you've got, yeah, to go you've got to fabric shopping. This is the one thing I love about drag. It's taught me to be self-sufficient. Like, if I can style it, I can brush a wig up. I can go buy fabrics, know where to buy cheap stuff. I know creatively teaches you how to put things together that I never would have learnt. Putting music together, structuring music, editing music, um, learning structure of highs and lows of entertainment. Like by failing in the clubs, I've learnt that skill of highs and lows, and and it becomes like a. Oh, it's almost like 
I know how to structure a show now to make things work yeah. and what sort of things to look for, which has become, it becomes easier because you've failed. And I think you do got to fail to learn how to do things better. Right. And your failures, are, which I've learned getting older, are the best things you can ever have. Right. You've got to fail because right. if you don't fail, you're not going to get any better. Are the audiences that are there in the club, you know, they've been there for a few hours. They've probably had one or two sherbets um, and whatever uh, that goes with that. Um, do they appreciate the shows or is it just colour and movement? Do well, you do you know what? I think the gay culture, in, some people really love it. Like just the other night we had this girl. She, I think I, she tipped me $50 and that was just me. She was from Adelaide. She just kept throwing. She just loved us. It was really sweet. But then you'll have some person who'll stand in front of the stage with their back to you and not look at you. And or put their dress, yeah, how bizarre. And I think, do they not know I'm here? But then you do know because you can sense that you know what's going on. And I just find it so rude. And I really struggle. I try to be as polite as I can, but it does. That's the one thing I can't stand. I always say, you know, I don't mind if you don't want to watch or dance in front of us and not pay attention. Just don't do it right there. There's all this other room you can do it. Just don't do it there because yeah. it's just rude. But and, but people don't like that, even when you say it politely, because people don't like being told they're doing something wrong. But it's pretty rude, isn't it? It's like standing up at the Lyric Theatre or the Capitol. And, and having you back to it's the weird. show, isn't it's it? It's really weird. Yeah. I once had a girl, quite funny, she held up her phone in the middle of the stage to take a selfie with her friend while we were doing the show. So where I was about to do a cross, I took a phone and put it in my bra. <laughs> and it was like, like and the, the security footage was quite funny because it's like so quick, it's like whoop, in there. And then I was doing the show, so she couldn't get a hold of me. And I went off for a quick change. And the man, he said, you'll just have to wait to the end of the show. And she went psycho. And I, I always try to make it lighthearted and fun and educate people because yep. I think, oh, you know, phones are a new thing. Yep. I said, oh, sweetheart, you, you know, you were holding your phone. She goes, no, give me my phone. And she was all aggressive. And I said, well, if you're not going to be polite, don't. I'm not going to come back. And I said, well, if you're not going to be polite, don't. And then I could feel myself getting hit. And so I just gave her a phone back. And then the audience booed her as she left. And then she wrote a letter trying to get me fired. But, oh, in, but not taking any responsibility for the phone. Yeah. And then in the end, she was drunk. A friend wrote me a great letter. So I was saying, I took some responsibility. I probably shouldn't have taken your phone, but I was taking the danger out because I could have knocked it. Two weeks later, someone did the same thing, but because I was sort of in trouble, yeah. I sort of pushed their hand out to get their phone out. And what happened? Broke their phone. Oh, dear. And that's exactly what I was trying to avoid. Yes, yes. So it's, you, you, damned if you do, damned if you don't. You, you're the drag Paddy LePay. Yes, I am. Well, I'm not as aggressive as her. But, I, you know, Polly Petrie is the drag party. She screams at them. I don't scream. I try to keep it, make it lighthearted and fun. I go, I'm an educator. <laughs> but it's tough sometimes. Yeah. Someone said to me once, oh, it's cultural difference. No, it's just rude. Yeah, it's yeah, really absolutely. rude. So you don't mind them if they, they film the show? No, that doesn't bother me. Right. Because that's intellectual property. Intellectual yeah, yeah, I don't mind that they do that. And I don't mind if people are having photos. So I think it brings a bit of joy to their lives. Yeah. I just hate it when they grab you and pull you without asking. You are a bit like a... Just a bit of property sometimes. They don't treat you like a human. Yeah. It's really weird. So what makes a good drag performer? Talent. <laughs> <laughs> yes. No, you know oh, what makes a good drag performer is someone that's authentic to themselves. And... Is an art. There's art. There's artistry involved, and if you're authentic and know what you like, and you commit to that, and it's good, people will like it. Yeah. And that's how you become unique and successful, I believe. If you try to be like some other drag queen, you're just a carbon copy, and there's no soul to it. Be yourself. Everyone else is taken. Yeah. Yeah. It's actually it's so true. So what's the impact on the body clock? It must be like being a flight attendant, is it? Or yeah, do you know what? You're working all hours of the morning. and I much prefer it. I don't think I could be a morning person. Because right. I, I, I was always like that. I've never been a morning person, always a night person. So theatre and all that has always been good for me. It doesn't bother me. Right. The only sometimes it's hard when I have to get up early to work and then work late. That can be taxing. Right. But because I've got grit, I'm a worker. So I just suck it up. Forget it all. It's all going to finish sometime. I'll get to rest when I'm dead. So, what time do you rise of a day then? If, uh, when you're working, if you're working into the morning, about ten. Right. T- ten o'clock is normally. Right. 
But now I don't do as many late nights as I used to. Right. Can you go home and go straight to sleep, or are you got to wind oh, down like most? I've got to wind down. Yeah. yeah. So if I used to do arc, I used to finish at two, so I wouldn't go to bed till three thirty-four. But then I'd sleep in on Friday and then work Friday night. And normally Sunday was my sleeping day. Right. If I didn't have to work. Who were your drag mothers or aunties, the, the, the drag queens that guided and taught you? Chelsea Bunn. Right. You, do you know what? I think it's the best. I had help-ish, but I think it's better to be self-sufficient and learn on your own because then if you do it yourself, then you can do everything yourself. I think it's best. It's good to have guidance, but I think it's better to do it all on your own and not get too much help and be self-sufficient. It's all right learning how to apply makeup. I mean, uh, as a theatrical, you'd already done that. I yeah, but you but know, this is a special oh, kind of makeup. Do you know what? I, lo- I looked like a bastard for years. I was never very good at it, and, and when I got busy, it was really hard too, because I'd slap it on, and then, then I look back at photos, and I'm like, oh, I've gotten better. I wouldn't say I'm great, but I've just gotten better. Yeah. But there's YouTube now. All the young kids come out looking perfect. Right. It's like you, you can just learn it off the internet. <laughs> but I think coming out looking like a bastard is part of the fun. What has a, a show like RuPaul's Drag Race done for the scene? Do you think that's been a... It's certainly raised the profile of drag, hasn't yeah, it? Yeah, which I think is... It's, it's done great things. The one bad thing for us, if you've not been on that show, people don't think you're very good. It's, it's quite weird, the power of television. And that's why I did Australia's Got Talent, because I thought, oh, I wanted, if you put yourself on television, people view you in a different way once you're on telly, and it's true. They really do, once you're on telly people's perception of you changes you don't change but their perception does it's the power of television what I love about RuPaul it brings it into people's homes and it normalises it where before I think we were just it was like a fetish where now people see it as actual artistry and performance yeah did the shows get reviewed very often no never no No. just no no. Just by the punters who yeah, are there. Yeah, just say that. You know what? <laughs> they don't tell you when they like it, but they'll tell you when they don't like it. <laughs> oh, it's the same with everything, isn't it? Yeah. It's so true. Yeah, yeah. But I, so I guess your recognition comes from, you know, awards notes like the Divas, the Drag Industry Variety Awards. Yeah, I've been very lucky in that respect. I've earned a lot of recognition, yeah. Yeah. But you're obviously appreciated by your peers as well. Yeah, and I think... In the industry. And... It, it's just work. I've always worked hard, and because I had performance skill coming into drag, of doing musicals and stuff, I ha- I have a skill set of putting on entertainment. I'm not learning that on the job. I know how to structure something, yeah, and that's part of it. Did you ever get to lay girls? No, no. I'll see it or be in yeah, it. Yeah, see it. See yes, it. No, I, I, I'll be you, too young to be in. I it. saw it when I was. It must have been. I must have been in about seventeen. I saw it in the cross. It was. It, it must have been near the end. I remember yeah. going, I it was with dancing school I went, which is old. I remember going, I don't remember too much about it, but I do remember going. I remember Monique Kelly. Yes, I remember. Yeah. I went once and I remember Monique. Yeah, you can't, you can't, she's something, you're someone what, you can't forget. What a legend. Yeah, totally. Uh, how has Oxford Street changed over the years, 16 oh. years that you've been uh, frequenting as, as many? There's have been a few changes. The lockout laws has really killed nightlife. And I think it's killing the heartbeat of the city, just in general. And marriage equality has changed, yeah. a bit, especially in the last year. So I hear gay people say, oh, there's all these straight girls here. And I go, hey guys, this is what equality feels like. Like you can't ask to be a part of something. Absolutely. And I do believe that's why it's, we don't need to conform together like we used to, as in all the gays need to stick together. They all grow up and they all go out in the, their suburbs and stick with their friends now. It's more normalised. So that's one another big change I've noticed. Which brings in the straight people, and they enjoy drag shows much more than the gays do. More appreciative. Yeah, yeah. the gays are a bit desensitised to it. Because right. it's always there. It's always of a standard. And that's the one thing I don't think... A lot of people, when they go away, they realise what they get in... The club scene here, they don't get, there's nothing like it anywhere in the world. Um, in the standard. 20 years ago, you know, great venues like the Albury. I and know. 
the Imperial were hosting great drag shows, etc. Are there the venues now for the no, drag shows? There's not. It's a very and because there's not, it's not breeding new talent either because right. there's nowhere for them to grow and blossom. It's like it's quite sad, really. I never thought of that. Yeah. So do you yeah. think there's a dearth of baby drags sort of coming into the scene? Yeah. Well, they they are there, but they don't get a chance to grow because there's no. With, uh, the Imperial's actually been really good. I see a lot of young kids performing there, which I think is really good because it nurtures creativity. Because mm. if you don't have an outlet, you can't, it doesn't grow. Well, you learn by working an audience, yeah. don't you? Yeah. And you can't creativity can't grow unless it's shown. Yeah. I believe that. Another alter ego of yours, um, you do a lot of choreography and, yeah, and direction. You've just finished a, a terrific, successful uh, youth production of a chorus line. What do you enjoy about directing? Um, I don't know what I enjoy about it. I've always, I just love watching people be good. I love watching talent grow. I love watching people achieve things they never thought they could. I, I just... I don't know. I just love performing. I have a real passion for it. Well, I guess harking back to that kid in you, yeah. in your bedroom, oh. who would produce shows every night, it's the being same able to grow up and play with real people and sets oh. and that's music. what I mean. That's yeah. what I mean. I've done nothing but that my whole life. So for me, this is the one thing I've learnt, used to struggle with, but not so much anymore. No one has the same passion about it as I do. Some people do, but I have a real passion for. It. I just live and breathe, and it's who I am, it's what I'm meant to do. Yeah. I'm not meant to do anything else. Because if I was, I would be doing it. Right. And I'm very happy to be doing what I do. Fantastic. You do cabaret, that's another That's platform. a new thing for me. New thing? That was the thing that was sort of inspired by Faith Prince. Because I like singing, I like storytelling. And I just like the idea of telling my life through song in a funny kind of way. So it's very autobiographical? Yeah. Your you, yeah, I use musical theatre songs to express what it was like me growing up. It's good. So that's sort of what it's about. And you do that as many, don't you? Yes, I do. Yeah. But then reference back to my life of growing up, loving all these things. So, and, and that's, we've got a lovely venue here called Claire's Kitchen. Kitchen. Yeah, which is. The salon. And the way that came about was through Jeremy Brennan. Yeah. I was just talking to him, and this is one of the things when you talk about something, he just said, I said, I've always. Because I had the idea, the show's called From Chorus Boy to Leading Lady. Like, you know, I was a chorus boy, now I'm a leading lady. And I had the idea for a while and it was Jeremy Brennan who I said, oh, I've got this idea. And he said, well, let's do it. And then that forced me into putting, producing the show and putting it up. So it's been slowly developing over the last year and I'm about to do it at the Sydney Fringe in September. So oh, I've great. got it all together. At Claire's? No, it's at, going to be on at the City Tats. It's part of the Sydney Fringe Festival. Right, right. Yeah. So I'm going out on my first sort of own producing sort of thing. So how does the cabaret form differ from drag? I guess there are overlaps. Well, drag is sort of a cabaret performance, but yeah. I don't sing when I do drag shows in the clubs. That's the difference, is that I'm using my own voice when I do that. And people are always so surprised because they didn't realise I could sing, but if you don't show it, how do people know that you yeah. can? Yeah. And this is what I mean about what was great from what I learned from Faith, there's all these things that I know I think I can do, but I've got nowhere to showcase it. So how have I done it? I've done it myself to showcase it. And people are surprised, which is, I find funny. And I think, oh, I've always been this, but I've just not been able to show it. It's really weird. There's another skill set too, uh, lip syncing. Oh. that That's a special skill, isn't it? Oh, I mean, do you know, it's funny. If you can lip sync well, I think it makes you a better actor because you've got to understand how to act without voice and listening to emotion in a song and interpreting that. Because I've seen some drag and I look at drag sometimes and I go, oh, so I love God, that's really bad. But then I see someone that's really good at it and I go, oh, it can capture you and make you feel something. Because I guess it's, it's you've it's got to tap weird. into the rhythm and, and Rhythm. breathing pattern. Yeah, and, it's uh, weird. And it's, it's if they're a great singer, it really helps. If they're a good storyteller singer, it really helps, I believe. Do you sing along with the track that you're... No, rhyming? not no? really, no. no. Some people do. I might whisper a bit, but not really. Because right. I like to... If, I don't like to do that because I like to feel... the Hear their voice and feel like it's coming from me. It's really weird. Right. And think what that singer is thinking when they're singing those lyrics. It's yeah. quite fascinating. Yeah. It's escapism. It's pure fantasy. Illusion. Drag magic, I call it. Drag magic. 
<laughs> now, uh, Mini Cooper, Aaron, tomorrow night as part of the Sydney International Cabaret Festival, mm -hmm. you are hosting the uh, the Late Night Cabaret Lounge? Yes, yeah. which is sponsored by Moe, so we'll be having lots of great champagne. Everyone will be really drunk and probably think I'm fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> so this is taking place after, because there's a big gala, the cab yes. Cabaret Gala at Angel Place. And then afterwards, we can all go to yeah, it's the like Seymour Centre, is it? Yeah, it's at the Seymour Centre. I don't know what room it's in. What have they called it? Have they called it a name? I should check that up, actually. Because there's a whole lot, there's capriccios and there's a whole lot of yeah. showrooms. Yeah, so it's a place for people to have like an after show drink and just relax and listen to Stephen on the keys and me sing a few show tunes that I've put together. So what time will that start? That's at 10 o'clock. 10 o'clock. I think there's a $10 admission or something. Yeah, if you've got a ticket. If you've got a ticket. Right. I don't know how much it costs if you don't. I know if you've been to the festival, it costs $10 to go in, right. which I think is pretty good. Well, I'm going to the gala and um, I'll call I, in and see. I think I'm worth $10. $10. Absolutely. <laughs> 10 10 Only 10 <laughs> Most of the time you get me for free. You don't need to pay for it. Yeah. But it's ex exciting, isn't it? Um, yeah. Trevor's baby of the, um, the Cabaret Festival, I think. That's what one. I admire about Trevor. He has... He's the perfect example of just having a vision and going out and doing it yourself, not waiting for anyone. Yeah. He just, that's incredible. I admire that. I wish I could be more like that. I'm, I don't think I'm as... Um, Confident? Yeah, well, I don't know. He's, yeah, probably that. Or a cutthroat's the wrong word. Because no. I don't think he's... Determined. Cut, determined, yeah. yeah. To make things happen. Yeah. Which and sometimes you don't know how to make things happen, but it's getting to talk to the right people and... It's funny how once you talk to the right person, something can happen. And you just got to ask. It's okay to ask. Most time, most time people say yes, I found. Right. It's really weird. Most often people go, oh, yeah, all right. Well, I don't know that's because I come with a reputation, or, but most often the time people say yes. It's really weird. I've not been told no since I've started asking very often. Most often time people say yes. Well, thank you for saying yes to this conversation. That's um, okay. It's been fantastic. Yeah. Have you had fun? Yeah, I have. Always have fun. <laughs> Thanks, um, Aaron slash Minnie. Yeah. See you on Friday. <laughs>